Look with me at 2 Timothy chapter number 1. And um, this morning we looked at verse 7 as the text verse. And we're going to go back to that tonight, all right? So um, if you would stand with me one last time. We'll read just verse 7. Just verse 7. I'll pray and then we'll get into the message. 2 Timothy 1 verse number 7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear. So this morning it was what God did not give us. Let's read a little further. But of power and of love and of a sound mind. So now I want to look at what God has given us. So let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be back in your house and for your people, their faithfulness and their love for you and and serving you. And now back on a Sunday night. And and certainly we know this is really, you know, the cream of the crop. You know, other than those who are physically unable, uh, these people are here and and, uh, they desire to worship and serve you this week. And I pray that this message would be a blessing and a help. Lord, use me, use us, and just speak to our hearts. As Revelation tells us, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. Bless now, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. So we know that God did not give us the spirit of fear, and um, that's what we mentioned this, this, uh, this morning. But tonight I want to look at the three things that God did give us, and I don't know that we'll be able to get to all three or at least develop each and every one of them in any detail because of time. But um, I do want to focus on probably that last one. But let's begin in verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of, as the Bible says, power. So he says, God gave you power. All right. Well, so if we go a little bit further in the context you then know how that power is manifested. Look at verse number 8 where Paul says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and to the Greek. I may have misquoted that ending, but you understand what he said in Romans chapter 1. He says, I'm not ashamed of what God did for me. And, And if you know the story about Saul of Tarsus, man, this is one guy with a bad, bad past. His past was not running and gunning, but his past was persecuting the children of God, as in persecuting the Christians in the church. And and then all of a sudden, the Lord saves him, meets him. He meets the Lord on the Damascus Road and changes his whole life. Aren't you glad for the day that God changed our whole direction? He gave us a new eternity. He gave us a new purpose. He gave us a complete new direction in life, and it's a 180. And so that's what's happened with Paul. And yet here, Paul says, look, He says, don't be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus. I'm not ashamed of it. And he goes a little bit further in verse 8. He says, or, nor of me, his prisoner. So we know this morning, he told us in Scripture, he is in prison. Right, he's in chains. He is—he's um, locked up. He's ready to uh, to be executed. And so he's telling Timothy, "Don't be ashamed of the Lord. Don't be ashamed of me. I'm in jail for the cause of Christ." He goes a little bit further in verse eight. But be thou partaker. Oh, he says partaker. Be a part of something. You know what? It's good to be part of a church. You know, the unsaved crowd is looking for something to be a part of. Now, they don't want to get a part of the church because they've, for whatever reason, have said, I don't need the Lord in my life. But they look for an organization. They look for some, you know, it could be the Lions Club. It can be whatever. And there's a lot of good nonprofit organizations out there. But those do good things. 
But it doesn't do eternal things. Do you hear me? It doesn't do what pleases the Lord. Now, don't get me wrong. It's good and it does please God to to feed the hungry and help them out. But I tell you what, and and this is a little side note. If I can, preacher, chase a little rabbit trail. Missions is not going to another country and building them a house and then giving them some water and teaching them how to plant food. They ought to do that on the side. Missions is about getting people saved, training them to preach the gospel, to reach their own people, and then on the side do all that other stuff. Y'all with me? But in order to reach people, you got to meet their physical need. And then once you meet their physical need, they'll listen, and then you can meet their spiritual need. And so Paul says, look, don't be ashamed of of me or of the testimony. But he says, be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. He says, if you get into the gospel ministry, you're going to suffer. He said it later on, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. We don't, necessarily, we don't necessarily experience that in America. I touched on, on, the, on that a little bit. But I'll say this. I believe this to be true. We don't experience suffering as a Christian right now in America, but it's coming. It's coming. You cannot curse God in His face. You cannot kill babies for 50 years. You cannot redefine marriage and do what is against the Bible and biology. You cannot do all those things and then expect God to not do anything about it, right? And then not expect us to eventually implode. Listen, there is a society and a group of people right now, I've heard them with my own ears in in certain college classrooms when I was in Rochester, New York. They said, we're waiting, listen to this, we're waiting for the old people to die off and then we'll have our way with this country. Because the old people are majority, 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 (laughs) I'm struggling, amen. Uh, Majority of the old people are more conservative, right? And when they are off the scene, then the young people that are more liberal, they're going to take over and it's called hope and change. It is. It's coming. So what, what do we do then? Paul said, listen, Timothy, you're going to be partaker of the afflictions. He says, just buckle up. Read on in verse number 8. Partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Listen, there is power in the gospel story of Jesus Christ. You know, when you all supported us and said, we'll, we'll get behind you to help you start that church in Rochester, we went there because of the connection of the deaf people. And so within a year that we were there. We planted the church in 2013. We arrived in 12. But in that first fall that we were there, you talk about a fish out of water. You know, I'm a Kentucky boy, born and raised in Danville, Kentucky, small town. I'm I'm now here in Rochester, New York. And it's a, you know, big city, highly educated. It's all about the universities that they've got there. And I was asked to do an interpreting interview, or rather, interpret an interview for a, a deaf man who was president of a local deaf club. He was going to be interviewed on local television for some event that they had going on. And the guy's name is Steve. And so when I got there, I got there a little bit early, I introduced myself, and he said to me, now he's the president of a local deaf club. He knows everybody there. He knows all the interpreters. He said, so so tell me your name. I said, I'm Jeff. He said, "Uh, you're new, aren't you? I said, no, I've been here for 30 years. He looked at me and he smiled. He said, no, you're, you're, you're not from around here. I said, you're right. I, I'm just joking with you. I'm from Kentucky, just moved up here. And then he said this. Now, he's Roman Catholic, part Irish, part uh, Italian. And he said to me, he said, why'd you move to Rochester from Kentucky? 
I said, well, actually, I'm here to plant a church. And he said, oh, really? He said, what type of church? I said, a Baptist church. You could have seen the look on his face. Now, he told me years later, he said, when you told me that, I thought some things that were not appropriate to say. <laughs> he said, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't care for the fact that you were here. So when we go into the interview, um, we're, we're, this is the first time I've ever been on the inside of a television station. And so we're seated. I'm here on this chair. He's here. And I'm going to be uh, on the side of the camera view. And he's going to be the main person they're speaking to. I'm going to voice interpret what he's signing. And then I'll even sign what the interviewer or the reporter, the anchor, is asking him. Now, we were told we got five minutes. They were doing the weather. And so I'm looking. I see the green screen. You know, when you look on TV and they're pointing and says it's sunny for the next seven days, they're pointing at just a blank screen that's green. I, you know, it's, it's fascinating. I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, wow, this is really good. And they said, we got five minutes. Do you want some water? I said, uh, yeah, I'll take some water. My, you know, I was a little bit nervous, right? I'm going to be on television. I'm new to the area. First job ever done up there. And uh, so they brought me a bottle of water. It wasn't the type that you twist open. It was the type that you had to, to peel off and then pop the top. And so I peeled it off. And then I was so nervous, I was squeezing the bottle. I popped the top. Water went everywhere, landed on my lap. I'm wearing light khaki pants. It looked like I wet on myself. This deaf guy almost fell out of his chair. He's laughing so hard. And this is within like two minutes of going live on TV. And I'm looking, I'm looking at him. He's laughing at me. And I'm just doing this, thinking... I can't believe I just did this. We did the interview. It was done. The next morning, he had another interview with a different TV station. And so I was scheduled to do that as well. So I show up the next morning. He said, oh, there's Jeff, the Kentucky water boy. <laughs> Make a long story short, within a short couple months later, whenever, he started coming to church. I got to lead Steve to Christ. I got to baptize Steve in a local pool because he couldn't physically get up and into a baptistry. He had some issues with neuropathy and a few other things and was diabetic. And uh, his daughter was there. His wife was there. I led his wife to the Lord, baptized her in the local hotel swimming pool. And uh, about a year or two before we moved back, he passed away. He was on dialysis. Doctor said, you're, you're going to lose your foot. Matter of fact, we're just going to cut your whole leg off to keep you alive and keep you going. And he said to the doctor, he says, I'm done. He said, I, I, I don't want this anymore. Big strapping guy, football player, athletic, a leader, a man's man. Now he's a shell of himself, dependent on his wife to do everything for him. And because, now listen to this. Because he trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, his friends... Many of them Italian, Roman Catholic, said to him, you now go to a Baptist church, you're no longer Italian. At the end of his life, he lost all of his friends because he, because he trusted in Christ. In that hospital bedroom, he said, I want to talk to my preacher. I come in, he said to me, he said, you know, I lost a lot of friends but I found Jesus Christ. He said, they told me I got to cut off my leg if I want to survive. I don't want to do with it, deal with this anymore. I'm just ready to go see the Lord now. So I told the doctor, I'll sign the papers. I'm done with dialysis. 
They tell me maybe 48 hours. He said, I want to talk to you, preacher. He said, Here, I want you to preach my funeral. I said, yes, sir, I'll be glad to do that. He said, I'm going to tell you something else. When I die, he says, I can't wait to see the Lord. When I get there, I'm going to be watching you. <laughs> and this is different. I know, I know the Bible says when we pray, God hears us and sees us, right? I know that. But I just asked him, I said, Brother Steve, this is all in sign language in his hospital bedroom. I said, Brother Steve, do me a favor. When you wake up in heaven, you see the Lord. Will you tell Jesus, I said, thank you for saving me and I love you. I know he can hear me. But just to know he got to one-on-one see the Lord and on my behalf, give a message. A couple days later, matter of fact, the next day he passed. A couple days later, he had his funeral, small, itty-bitty old funeral home. And I'm talking about jam-packed. I'm talking about wall-to-wall people standing on the wall, standing by the walls, every chair. They're around me. If, if this is the little podium and his body's in front, I got people seated on this side and that side, jam-packed. And God allowed me to preach the gospel to a bunch of lost Catholic deaf people. And many of them came up to me afterwards and said, I've never heard that before. Thank you for sharing the gospel. Can I tell you, there is something powerful about the gospel of Christ, but there is some affliction that is associated with it. I want you to look with me back with me at 2 Timothy chapter 1. He says, God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of the next word, love. So he says, listen, he says, Timothy, he says, you're going to realize the power of God as you preach the scriptures. But he says also something else. You're going to realize the love of God, that God has loved you and that he loves other people that are out there. Now, here, there's a couple of things that we know according to the Bible. The Bible tells us that we are to love God. That's the first and greatest commandment and then love our neighbor. So we know that we understand that. But the Bible does tell us something else that we should love. Take your Bible and turn over with me to 2 Timothy chapter number 4. And I want you to look with me at verse number 8. Is, uh, is Abby here? Is Abby here, the teenager? Abby? Abby. Abby came up to me after church. And I appreciate her, you know, sharing uh, what God had, had done with her. And it was an encouragement to me. But this is kind of connected to what we talked about. You know, when I was a young person, I didn't necessarily want the Lord to come back. Because I wanted to get my license. I wanted to get, you know, I wanted to graduate, get married and start life and experience life, right? And that's a natural, maybe a, a thought and a feeling, maybe even a little bit of fear. But notice what the Bible says here in 2 Timothy 4 in verse number 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but watch this, but unto, unto, all, unto them also that love His appearing. Listen, if we love the fact that Jesus is coming soon, you can get a reward for having that kind of love. And I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of things that I've enjoyed in this world and got to experience, one of which is go to the Philippines and preach and, and a few other things. But I tell you what, the older I get, the more I can't wait to hear the sound of the trumpet and hear the shout and see the Lord Jesus Christ come back in the clouds because I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture position and it's going to be a great day when that day comes and we cannot even begin to understand what heaven is like but don't you worry you will not be disappointed 
So he says you ought to love some things and you ought to love the appearing of Christ, but understand this. And here's the sad part. Years ago, I made a statement at our church and it came to bite me and, and, uh, and hurt me. And, and I understand maybe I didn't say it the right way, but that's this. People come, people go, but God's work continues, right? And here's the sad part. Not everybody that's in these pews right now will still be serving the Lord five years from now. I wish that was the case. I hope that will never be said of me. But notice what, the, what Paul says here in 2 Timothy 4 and verse number 10. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present what? World. The world has a pool. And I mean it's a big pool. I mean it's enticing. It's fun. It's, it's full of pleasure. There's pleasure in sin. For how long? Season. How long do seasons last? Well, every year you get four of them, and those are about three months. And when seasons come, seasons go, and you get something different. And when there's pleasure in sin for a season, it's fun for a while, but eventually the price tag has to be paid. And Paul says, look... Love the appearing of the Lord, but here we've got somebody that used to be involved with us, used to serve the Lord. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. So he talks about, look, God gave us the spirit of, not of fear, but of power and of love. And here's my main focus tonight, and we'll get to it. And that's, go back with me, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. He says, God hath given us the, that of a sound mind. I'll be honest, Pastor, it's hard for me to wrap my brain around the fact it seems like society has lost their mind. We now deal with school shootings on a regular basis. Now watch me. We, we have our kids going to school. Our kids Last week in Washington State, there was four or five young, I don't know if they were students or old, four or five masked men that came into the school, started shoving students, hitting students, and they were just running for their lives. They didn't know what was going on. The next day, 500 students didn't show up to class the next day. So there's the shootings, and now for some reason, you got some, some people breaking into the school, shoving and hitting people with masks on. And, and now people are like, I, I don't even know how to, how to react to this. So they're just afraid. So they just stay home the next day. And I can understand why they would do that. But understand, we, we've got the shootings that are taking place. Now listen, because of the liberal thinking that's out there, when you reject the word of God, you lose all common sense. There's a district in New York State after the last shooting a couple years ago, they, 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 they were looking at providing school resource officers, armed guards, to protect the kids. This is a rural district, right? It's not urban area. It's a rural district. And so they said, here's the proposal. We're going to hire, now listen to this, retired police officers, retired military, and then we'll train them, and then we'll arm them, and they'll protect our schools. The school district board voted it down because they said we don't want guns in our schools. I understand school is about reading, writing, and arithmetic, or it should be. But if we can't even trust those that have been trained and retired as police and as military and then train them again, however they want to be trained, and then say it's your job to protect our kids, 
How in the world have we gotten to this point? It's real simple. The Bible says in Hosea chapter 4, verse number 6, it says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected my law, I will also reject thee and thy children. That's where our country is today, that even our children can't even figure out what's right or wrong because our our adults don't even know what's right or wrong because the society says, God, stay out of it. But watch me. As soon as something bad happens, they say, God, where were you? They blame him for everything. Listen, folks, we got to get back to the word of God. And you say, preacher, is it really going to make a difference? Well, I'll tell you whose difference it will make in. It can make a difference in my family and yours. You say, but preacher, what about Noah? The Bible says it'll be like Noah's day in the coming of the Son of Man. And, and just like what they, he experienced is what we're going to experience. Those things are now being checked off right now as we speak. And you say, but Noah failed. He was a preacher of righteousness. Nobody got on the boat. That may be true. Maybe from a success standpoint, he didn't succeed. But I tell you what. He got his wife on the boat. He's got his three boys on the boat. He's got his three daughters-in-laws on the boat. And the number eight represents that of new beginning. If it wasn't for Noah, we wouldn't be here. He's a successful man because he said, I found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so as a child of God, how can you and I face tomorrow where there's all this fear, but God says you can have a sound mind, and this is how you do it. Look with me at 2 Timothy chapter 1. In verse 13, Paul says, Hold fast the form of sound. What's the next one? Which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. He said, listen, if you want to have a sound mind, what you listen to and what you read and see affects your mind. If you want to have a sound mind, it begins with sound words. Sound words communicate something else. Turn over with me to 2 Timothy chapter number 4, and let's look at verse number 3. So he says, if you want to have a sound mind, you need to have sound words and hold to those sound words, and those sound words communicate what he says in 2 Timothy 4 and verse number 3. The time will come when they will not endure sound what, church? What is sound doctrine? Doctrine means teaching, right? And what do you teach? In order to teach, you communicate by language. In language, you use words. So he said, you got to hold to the sound words. By the way, that's the word of God. By the way, in the English language, and I know everybody would agree with this on this statement, and that's the King James Bible in the English language. He says, hold on to that. We don't need anything new. We don't need to replace anything with something modern. We just need to stick to what God has given us, the word of God, and that's what's going to give me peace. And he says, the words will give you sound doctrine. And then he says in the rest of verse number three, but they, after their own lust, shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Charles Stanley is now in heaven. Longtime Southern Baptist preacher. His son, back in the 90s, started a church in Atlanta. A mega church. It may even be bigger than his daddy's church is today. First Baptist of Atlanta, his dad's, his his son's church. I forget the name. Um, just recently, his son hosted a conference. Now get this: hosted a conference to teach Christians on how to accept the LGBTQ. He's a Baptist preacher, or maybe he was. But he grew up in a Baptist church. He grew up in a 
a, a Southern Baptist church. His dad was the preacher. How in the world did we get from that to now one of the most influential, younger, younger than his dad, but he's still, he's an older man now, but a preacher in America that the whole world is kind of flocking to that kind of preaching. I'll tell you what, when you get rid of the word of God, the King James Bible, when you go over to the other versions, you start changing a whole bunch of other things. And that includes you start changing the sound words and the sound doctrine to the point that you can't endure it anymore. You don't like the old fashioned Bible preaching. You just want to teach and tell stories and fables and help people with pop psychology. Listen, it's not a pop psychology sermon that's going to help change my life. It's the old fashioned, old time. Hey, heaven is real. Hell is real. The only way to get out of hell and get to heaven is to put your trust in Christ and you're a sinner in need of a savior. And this is an altar. It's time to get saved today. Type of preaching. Listen, friend, we got to get back to that old time way. But in this day and age, as the Bible tells us, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. And here's why they won't endure it. Because it's all about the money. If we tell the truth, people get offended. When they get offended, we lose people. When we lose people, we lose our comfort. There has to be a point where people say, and by the way, I'm not a believer in my four no more. I believe when you preach God's word and love people and win people to Christ, God will bless it and it will grow. But understand something, growth is not the goal of a church. I can't make it grow. I can't lead anybody to Christ. What I can do is preach Christ. Some, you know, Paul was planted and Paul watered, but God gave the what? Increase. It's God that does the saving. It's my job just to tell the truth in love and preach God's word and then let God do a work on the inside of that man or that woman's heart. And then when they get saved, then we baptize them and then we disciple them and help them grow. If we'll just stick to that old time way and say, I'm interested in pleasing God, that's all that matters. But time's coming. They won't endure sound doctrine. Go back with me over to, what is it? Titus chapter number one. Look at what he says to Titus in Titus chapter 1 in verse number 9. Paul says this, remember, you got to have a sound mind. That begins with sound words that lead to sound doctrine. In Titus 1 in verse 9, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. It is the sound doctrine of the word of God we're supposed to hold on to. Now, what exactly is sound doctrine? Doctrine is teaching. Sound means healthy or strong. Now watch. We could go into many different doctrines. But let me give you a doctrine that is applicable right now in October of 2023. Turn over with me to Jeremiah chapter number 31. Jeremiah chapter number 31. I know your preacher alluded to this earlier this morning. But two weeks ago, it may be three weeks ago now, two weeks ago, when Israel found itself in a fight... Hamas terrorist. And listen, it is terrorism. They're not militants like the New York Times and CNN and all those. They're trying to sugarcoat things. It is pure terrorism what they did to those Israelis on the morning of October the 7th. It sounds like the times in in the Bible when the Philistines came in. By the way, that's what the Palestinians are. You read your Bible and find out they're connected. They are Philistines. 
That's where uh, Gaza, that's where, uh, you know, the uh, Goliath, that's where his whole family comes from. And so when you look in scripture, you can look at how Israel has been fighting for their life all throughout. But go with me to Jeremiah chapter number 31. I want you to see what he says in verse number 35. It is easy to get afraid to see what's happening right now in Israel and say, I don't know how they're going to make it. They're getting attacked by Hamas. They're getting attacked by Hezbollah. Iran is on guard and put the world on notice. If Israel decides to go into Gaza or into the, uh, that Gaza Strip, they said Iran's going to get involved. Our, our warships are now in the middle Mediterranean. And by the way, we're involved in Ukraine. We're helping them. And Russia and Putin is sitting back thinking, this is a prime example. China's sitting on the sidelines saying, guess what? They got an election. They got a president. Doesn't even know if the sun is up or down. They're involved in Ukraine. They're there in the Mediterranean. We're going to go grab Taiwan any day now. And China's now blaming America for what's happening in the Middle East. And it gets even better. The students at Harvard and students at various elite universities are now blaming Israel for what happened on October the 7th. We've lost our mind in this country. So you say, how's Israel going to survive? Look with me at Jeremiah chapter number 31. And the Bible says here in verse number 35, thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for a light by day and the ordinances of the moon and of the stars for a light by night, which divideth the sea when the waves are of roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, in other words, if the sun, moon and stars stopped shining, here's what he says. Verse 36, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus saith the Lord, if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, saith the Lord. Can I remind you, you cannot measure the foundations of heaven. Can I remind you, there's always going to be a sun, there's going to be moon, there's going to be stars. Yes, there's a new heaven and a new earth, but the sun is always going to shine and it's still going to be there. And by the way, and so is the nation of Israel. She will never disappear from that of the face of the earth. They may not be uh, born again as a child of God, but they are still God's chosen people. The apple of his eye. You say, preacher, how in the world can that be? We'll look at that in just a second, but I want you to see with me over in Romans chapter 11 and notice in verse number one where Paul makes the statement. You've got a Roman individual who is Jewish by, uh, by training and birth, who becomes a Christian, preaches the gospel, and he says this about his own people in Romans chapter 11 verse one. I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. I am also an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. I had this asked of me just this past week. If they don't believe in Christ, how are they God's chosen people? Look with me at Romans 11 and verse number 28. As concerning the gospel, they, that would be his Jewish family, are what? For your sakes. How about this? Have you ever known a Jewish person? to support the preaching of the gospel of Jesus. They're against it. They don't believe it. They're, they're enemies for the gospel, but that's not the end of the story. Read the rest of verse number 28. But as touching the, what's the next word? Election. They are beloved for the father's sakes. 
In other words, they are God's elected or God's chosen people. You say, preacher, oh, you mean God chose them to be saved? No, that's not what I said. The Lord is not willing that, but that should come to repentance. Acts chapter 17, I believe, says in verse number 30, He commandeth all men everywhere to what? Let me ask you this question. Would God be fair to command you to do something that He doesn't give you the ability to do? And God is a righteous and a fair God. So He commands all men everywhere to repent. He wants all men to repent. He gives everybody the same opportunity to repent. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. And so God wants everyone to be saved, but He gives you a choice. And here in Scripture, He says about the nation of Israel, they are the touching the election. They are beloved for God's sake. God elected Israel in order to give us our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen on that? He elected Israel to give us our Holy Bible. He elected Israel to give us the law, to give us the family. Listen, they are a special group of people, but for whatever reason, they are now in blindness and now the Gentile has been grafted in and I'm so glad God knows what he's doing because if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be saved. But guess what? The Bible tells us at the end of the story, the time of Jacob's trouble, the seven-year tribulation that's right around the corner is going to take place and 144,000 Jewish male virgins will start preaching that Jesus is the Messiah. You need Christ as your Savior. And listen, friend, what a day in this world when multitudes of Jews and Gentiles see that Jesus is what they need. Praise God for God's plan. They may be enemies for the gospel now. They're still God's chosen people. All of that, I want you to go with me real quickly to Ezekiel chapter 16. Ezekiel chapter 16, I was reading this past week. And when I read this, I, it jumped off my page and I thought, oh my goodness, that's America right now. Now, when Ezekiel is writing this, he's talking about Jerusalem. So let's keep that in mind. The biblical interpretation, it's Jerusalem. But as I read it, I can make an application to my life in 2023. And it sounds like America. In Ezekiel chapter number 16, I want you to look with me at verse number 49. He says here about Jerusalem, and he makes a comparison between Jerusalem and Sodom. In verse 49, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. What's the next word? What y'all have in Winchester for the first time yesterday? Every June. What did God kick Lucifer out of heaven for? I believe what God hates more than any other sin is pride. Go a little bit further. Verse 49. He said about Jerusalem. This was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride. Fullness of what? I don't pray, Lord, can I have daily bread? I don't need to. We have so much food in America, right? I mean, all I got to do is walk into Kroger's. There's plenty of bread. In America, we struggle losing weight. In other countries, they struggle gaining weight. If you've been to the third world country, you know 
that those people don't have food. I have a Jewish, Ukrainian deaf friend who escaped under USSR, took two or three months to go all throughout Europe, washing windows in Italy for a little bit of money to get to the next country, to the next country, to the next country, to get out of the USSR. His daddy had to bribe, his deaf dad had to bribe a, 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 a Russian soldier with, with chocolate and with vodka so that they could get through the checkpoints and on the train to the next country. Next country, he finally gets to America. He becomes the first deaf college professor at an Ivy League school at Brown University teaching American Sign Language. I got to talk to him about the Lord Jesus Christ. I got to witness to him. And we become good friends. And I have heard him say, you don't know what you have in America. He said, I grew up under communism. I grew up in in Eastern Europe. And we don't have the abundance of food that you have here. He says, it was hard to get food. He went even further. He says, what I see right now taking place in America is what was going on under communism in the USSR. He is scared because he left that to come to free America. And now he's seeing it all happen again. But he says here in Ezekiel, he says pride. He says fullness of bread. And look at this next phrase. An abundance of what? We were in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee two weeks ago. We haven't been to Pigeon Forge in a long time. Almost every person who was there at the ticket counter at every single attraction, ride, whatever, was not an American. They were immigrants, Hispanics, you name it. What happened to the work ethic of American people? We all know those who come from another country work harder than our own kids these days because of an abundance of idleness. How about this? Right? I don't know. That's talking about Jerusalem, but that sure does sound like what we're going through right now. Read on in the rest of verse number 49. He says, abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. I don't know why we struggle with homelessness in the United States of America. I don't. We are the wealthiest nation on the planet. We have all this freedom. How is it that we've got this problem? I'll tell you, it's it's real simple. Liberalism has lost all common sense. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, if a man won't work, neither should he what? If you're physically disabled or mentally disabled, we ought to help them and whatever they need. But when you have a mind that still works and a body that still works, you should starve to death if you don't work. But liberalism won't let us do that. And we got problems that are just manifesting and they're getting bigger and it's like it's imploding on, on, from the outside or the inside out. How do you solve all this? But God says about Israel, read on verse number 50. He says, and they were haughty. And they committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. Right now, that's a description of Jerusalem, but it sure does sound like America. So how do we deal with all this? Take your Bible and go back with me to Titus chapter number 2. And let's kind of wrap up. When he talks about a sound mind, we need sound words that lead to sound doctrine, that lead to sound living. 
Now notice this in Titus chapter 2. I alluded to this earlier. I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. I believe Jesus Christ will come back for His church before the seven-year tribulation begins. I don't believe in a mid-trib position. I don't believe in a post-trib position. I believe if you're mid-trib or post-trib, here's what you're looking for. The Antichrist to show up. But look what the Bible says in Titus chapter number 2 in verse number 13. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior. Who? Jesus. Listen, if you have a pre-trib position, you're not looking for the mark of the beast or the seven-year peace treaty or the revelation of the son of perdition, the Antichrist. You've got your heads up in the clouds looking for the return of Jesus Christ. And that's a completely different perspective on what's going to take place. But even with that said, we do ourselves a disservice as a pre-trib type of Christian when we use that as an excuse to say, we'll not suffer. I don't know that that's true. I think we have to be prepared. Things are going to get worse before they get better. Turn over with me to Titus chapter 2 and look at verse number 14. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar or special people zealous of good works. He said, listen, you're going to have a sound mind. You need sound words, sound doctrine that leads to sound living. The, uh, Israel is still God's chosen people. The church will be removed before the tribulation. Keep your eyes in the, and, and head looking up to the clouds because the Lord is coming back. Look for Jesus, not the Antichrist. Last passage, turn over to 2 Peter chapter 3. And I want you to look with me at verse number 10. Peter touches on this very issue. He says, look, in the last days, you're going to have people that will scoff at you when you talk about these are the last days. They're going to say, well, where was his coming? You've talked about this for decades. Uh, If I'm not mistaken, Pastor Muncie, you probably have heard preaching on we are are close to the return of the Lord and he could come back at any moment. You probably have heard that for the last 40, 50 years of ministry. But if you look at how things are now playing out, all the boxes are checked. Everything, there's nothing left to go. COVID did an interesting thing for our country and the world. COVID preconditioned the world to this. We will do whatever it takes so I can still play football on Sunday and play baseball and go to the restaurant on Monday and enjoy and just leave me alone. I'll, I'll do whatever the government says I got to do. Right? We were told this, we find this is true and this is wrong. We were told this, listen, they, it was a precondition, a real virus that people died from and others survived, but the majority survived from the virus. But watch me, the world was ready to give up their freedom. In New York, you could not go to a restaurant unless you had an app. You couldn't go to a ball game unless you had an app. And that app, had proof that you were vaccinated. And if you chose for whatever reason to say, I'm not going to get the vaccine because I'm young, I'm healthy, I'm not at risk, I'm at the low end of the risk uh, population, you could not go to Yankees game, Bills game, go to a restaurant when they were testing this whole process. Now, when I read in Revelation, the Bible says, you can't buy, sell, or trade if you don't have a what? It's coming. But watch. 2 Peter chapter number 3. Look at verse number 10. 
But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. The elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. That's real interesting. He said, you watch and see when all this plays out, you're going to see fire in the heavens. You're going to see the elements, the oxygen, the nitrogen, all the things that make up the earth, that make up every human body. You're going to see the, the, the world, God's creation. It's going to melt and it's going to burn right before you. Read a little bit further. Look at verse 11. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming day of God. We ought to be looking for the return of Christ and excited about it. And then the rest of verse 12, he says, wherein the heavens being on what? On fire. Shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with a fervent, what's the next word? What's nuclear bombs all about? That very thing. Thermonuclear. The technology's here. It's already to start. Middle East is on fire, not literally, in certain areas, Gaza and you name it. The world is on edge. Most people are trying to figure out, we just came through a pandemic and now we got this economy and now we've got this election and now we got the Middle East and now we got Ukraine. Can I tell you, the only people that can have peace in the midst of a storm are those that listen to Jesus Christ and His Word and with sound doctrine, with the sound words, you can have a sound mind and a sound heart and live sound. And when Jesus Christ comes back, you can be excited about it. And if there is a time of suffering for us as Americans, we're willing to be like Paul that says, hey, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown righteousness. Hey, as a child of God, there's nothing that we have to fear except simply being faithful to the Lord. And he says, look in verse number 13, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. I sure am excited about the fact that Jesus is coming soon. There's no need to be afraid. There's all the reason in the world to say, I'm so glad that I'm saved and I'm in God's will and God's going to take care of everything and everything's going to be all right. Last time I checked, Noah got on the boat with his wife, his three boys, and his three girls. And I believe he was not the first one on the boat. I believe he was the eighth one. Because the Bible says in the New Testament, it says he's the eighth person. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And then God took the door and shut him in. No man can open a door that God closes or close a door that God opens. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, we know you've given us some things. You've given us power, love. And Lord, I definitely want to have a sound mind. Knowing with all that's going on in this world, it'd be very easy to get discouraged. Very easy to get depressed, maybe afraid. But Lord, as I read the Bible and spend more time in your word, I realize this is all lining up with Scripture. I don't have to be worried or afraid. I can relax and trust that you are in control. Lord, may your will be done in this place. It's in Jesus' name we pray. With every head bowed, every eye closed, preacher's going to take over this invitation.